0: Well, let me just say, well done. Y'all sang well. Y'all sang loud. The last time when Graham softened down a bit, all I could hear was y'all's voices, and that was beautiful. So let's keep it up. Uh, If you have a Bible, let's look at Romans chapter 5 this morning, starting in verse 12. I'm going to read this passage before us and then consider it together. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. God says through his servant Paul, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed is in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass much more will have much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound for many the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we bow before you, knowing that you are the author of this word, and knowing that we desperately need it. We thank you for revealing yourself in these words, on these pages, and we pray that you would help us to see you more clearly in your word and in your Son, Jesus. Jesus, make your sacrifice evident and clear to us clearer even than our own sinfulness. And Spirit, I pray that you would save, that you would sanctify, that you would show your power in our lives this morning. Um, your church. And we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, I've never had this happened to me but you've probably seen it in a TV show or a movie where like somebody's going to a club or a game or a place and somebody's supposed to be there and the other person's not supposed to be there and as they're walking in they let you know the one person in until the next person they kind of say uh and then the guy that went in already is like it's okay he's with me and they're like, okay, you come on in, you know. You, you, I, I've never been in a cool place where that would be like, like happen to me. Uh, and that may mean speak more of you guys that, you know, I've never been in, let into anything with you, but uh, I, I have experienced that with Samuel. And uh, so on this orphan day, I get to tell a story of a former orphan who was adopted into our family and it's clear, uh, like we don't look like each other. Um, he's from Africa, I'm not, he's much cuter than I I know, I can understand, understand this. Um, so it's clear that we don't really go together, uh, and, and this, this happened, and this was made clear early on in, in our adoption when we were overseas, and we had to um, go to the U.S. Embassy, where I was... I look American, pull out an American passport, very easy to get in line and in fact get to walk down the American line, not the Others line, trying to get a visa or something like that and and bring him with me and get to the front and, and, and some say, whoa, 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 what what are you doing? It's it's okay. He's with me. He's with me. I, and, and I've got the paperwork. I've got French paperwork, Karundi paperwork, English paperwork. I've got, I've got all of this documenting that he's with me. Uh, he's in my arms. Or even to the point of the airport coming back home when, again, obviously he didn't look like us. Nor did, at that point, in our sweet adoption story, did he want to be with us. Um, Throw a fit and... Uh, many thinking he shouldn't be with you. In fact, it's him sitting in Joy's arms and Joy holding on to him and others pulling him away. And she's saying, no, he's with me. He's in my arms and and I'm not letting him go. He's mine. And that type of, of picture helps us on this Orphan Sunday to realize what we have in Christ versus what we had in Adam. Because in Adam, we only had sin and death, and yet in Christ, we have righteousness and life. This is the, the good news of the gospel for us in Romans chapter 5, in verses 12 through 21. This is what Paul wants us to consider. He wants us to consider this question, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? You need to ask yourself that question today. Am I in Adam and sin and death or am I in Christ in righteousness and life by faith? Paul will go on later in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 speaking about those who are in Christ and say that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ those who are with Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ or in Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 Paul speaks about the fact that those who are in Christ are sons of God through faith. Again, the the picture of adoption on Orphan Sunday shows up even more clear in our relationship with our Heavenly Father who has adopted us in. We are now His sons and His daughters. How? Because we're no longer in Adam. We're in Christ And yet there is a world of people who don't know what it means to be sons and daughters of God. You may not know what it means to be a son or a daughter of God because you're not in Christ by faith. And so consider that question this morning. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And we'll spend this morning considering what that looks like and what that means from this text this morning. If you're taking notes, in addition to the question and title of, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? I want you to note this down regarding the first three verses in chapter 5, 12 through 14, that Adam is a type of Christ. This is uh, an important truth that is going to be teased out in the next couple paragraphs. But this is is important for us to to recognize and realize. And and Paul lays out a logical progression here. Uh, And he believes, though we may read a passage like I just read just a minute ago and think, what? (laughs) What does this all mean? Uh, Where did this come from? This seems kind of different than what we talked about last time. And yet Paul believes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this is the next logical progression in his argument of showing us uh, what it means to be justified by faith. And it sets up chapter 6 that we need to know this in these passages so that we better understand what's coming next week in in chapter 6. And so, it's, it, this is important. Um, and, and, and last week, in that great passage of 5 1 through 11, we were reminded that we have reason to rejoice. As God's people, as God's children, as followers of Christ, we have reason to rejoice because we have been justified, because we have peace with God, because we have access into His grace. Because um, uh, in the end, we, we will be saved from the wrath of God. We now have joy. We're full of joy in the hope of God. We're full of joy in the midst of suffering. We're full of joy in God himself. and So we have reason to rejoice. And, and Paul explains that this is only possible because of what Christ has done. And it's only true, chapter 5, 1 through 11, is only true for those who are in Christ. Those things are not true for those who are still in Adam, which we all once were. And so Paul makes this distinction here. And, and his first major point is that Adam is a type of Christ. And, and he makes that logical progression He introduces Adam and says that sin entered the world through Adam and death entered the world through sin. And death then spread to all mankind. Look in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and we understand that that is Adam because of the rest of the passage. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul is going backwards all the way to the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1 through 3 and speaking about Adam as if he's a real person. In the same way that he speaks of Christ, as if he's a real person. But there are many who nowadays would just say, Adam was just a... Metaphor for mankind. But, but if that's true of Adam, then it has to be true of Christ as well, because Paul holds them in the same in this passage. And so we understand that Adam was a real person through whom sin entered the world. And, and notice that it didn't say Eve, or, or it never brings up Eve. In this passage, it speaks about one man and names him later as Adam. And yet when you read the story, you read that Eve took of the fruit and ate. And yet here, God and Paul hold who responsible? Adam. As God's first creation, as God's leader of that home, he's the one who's held responsible. He's the one who's held accountable for his family's sin. he... Likely committed the first sin of not holding high the truth of God's word and fighting for his family uh, in that moment, and so death, sin entered through Adam. Death entered through sin, which means that death was not the original a part of the original plan for mankind. They could have lived in the garden with fellowship with God and enjoyed that for all eternity. Eating of the tree of life, uh, obeying the Father, of not eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but but they didn't. And death entered into that world uh, when God had promised that if they would eat of that fruit, they would surely die. And die they did, physically later on in life, but spiritually well. And death not only came to Adam and Eve... But it came to their children as well. It was passed their sin and death was passed on to Cain and Abel and eventually Seth. And, and if you consider the story, even um, Abel, their son, died before they themselves experienced physical death. So this death was passed on to all because all sinned. And so we have to consider though, in this in this part of the, the the text, what's really happening here? And so did this death pass to Cain and Abel because they too sinned, or was it because their parents, and our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and was passed on their sin and death? Was it their sin, or was their parents' sin? and In other words, would it have been possible for Cain and Abel, uh, or for us for that matter, to have lived a perfect and sinless life and escaped death? Or did we inherit Adam's sinfulness and death when we were born? I think the Bible makes abundantly clear that we inherit that sinful nature of Adam and Eve. That when we were born, we were born sinners. And we sinned because we were sinners. We just sang a song, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. But you were dead in your sins and trespasses. But God made us alive together with Christ. Before we had even disobeyed our parents and, and broke the fifth commandment. We uh, were sinful. We were dead. We had the the sin had been passed on. Death had been passed on. But let me ask you another question. Did we inherit Adam's sin and death simply because he passed them on to us? Or were we guilty of sin ourselves when Adam sinned? Uh Uh-oh, some of you smiling. I don't know. Were we just sinful because it was passed on to us? Or did we sin technically when Adam sinned? Now, the first one seems a little unfair. We're considered sinful because Adam sinned and Eve sinned? And the other one just seems confusing. We sinned when Adam sinned, but I wasn't there. So, so, So which is it? Um... I think, I believe that the clearest explanation of these verses saying that all sinned in Adam uh, means that we did. We were technically there, that we sinned when Adam sinned. You see, we love to think about how Christ's obedience and his righteousness are imputed to us by grace through faith as if we were obedient and righteous even though we weren't there when Jesus was obedient and righteous 2,000 years ago. We love to think that we get his righteousness and we get his obedience even though we weren't there when he lived the obedient life there. So why is it so hard for us to believe that when Adam's sin and, de- that Adam's sin and death were imputed to us as if they were ours, even though we weren't there 6,000 years ago when he sinned. You see, Adam's disobedience was our disobedience, just like Christ's obedience can become our obedience by faith. In our birth, Adam's sin was ours, but in our new birth, Christ's righteousness becomes ours by faith. Or we could consider it Another way, like the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 says that those who fall back into sin are crucifying the Son of God once again. That even though we live 2,000 years after Christ, when we sin, we're going back in time almost and crucifying the Son of God once again. And so we have to consider that. We have to realize that though we weren't there when Adam sinned, though even his children weren't there when Adam sinned, we were all guilty when Adam sinned. That the unrighteousness and the sin and the death were imputed to us and transferred to us. This is how Kent Hughes writes about this. This idea. He says the biblical mind did not have this problem in understanding this. In Hebrew, Adam, the word Adam means mankind. And people in Bible times understood that the human race has a corporate, a together solidarity in Adam, that we're all in Adam. Thus, all mankind was present and actually sinned in Adam. Adam was not a mere representative for mankind, showing what we would do if we had the same temptation. We were Adam. And as Adam, we sinned. This is biblical thinking, Kent Hughes says. This is Pauline. Paul's doctrine, this is the doctrine of Augustine, this is the reformed pers- position, this is orthodoxy. It is the only correct view, he says. Pretty strong statement to say. But it's helpful for us to realize that it, we just wouldn't have done what Adam did if we were there. We did it. We sinned. That, and that sin and that death were Im- imputed to us. And Paul goes on to explain it a little bit more. In verse 13, he says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. That that seems simple enough. Adam and Eve sinned. Cain and Abel sinned. Um, They sinned during the times of Noah. They sinned during the times of Tower of Babel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all 12 sons of Jacob sinned. Moses sinned. And then the law was given. So it's not hard for us to realize that, yeah, sin was in the world before the law was given. But Paul says, sin was, is not counted where there is no law. Now notice, he doesn't say that sin was not sin before there was law. He's just saying it just wasn't counted. It wasn't charged to their account. It wasn't reckoned to them immediately uh, on their account account. The Lord was waiting for, for a time. But then when the law comes, as we will see a little bit later, all of a sudden all of those sins are are been been brought into the light. And it becomes clear to everyone that sin is sin and that we have transgressed the, the law of God. And, and it's clear that sin is in the world and that sin is still sin even though it may not be charged or counted, because in verse 14, death reigned. That's an important word in, in this passage, that death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. It wasn't like the transgression of Adam because he was the one that did it, but we were there. And Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And so, this is the, the truth that we need to realize. Adam was a, a type of Christ. Uh, the word type is from the Greek word tupos, which means to impact or to stamp or uh, a model or a, a pattern that uh, you might get from a stamp. And, and there are lots of different types of Christ in the Bible. It could be a person. It could be a place. It could be an event. Um, Any of those types of things that um, give us a, a glimpse of Jesus in the future. Now, not every person, place, or event in the Bible that even has the smallest glimmer of maybe a reflection of Jesus is a type. But there are some that are very clearly types. And when the Bible tells you that something is a type of Christ, you can trust that it's a type of Christ. And this is one of those passages. You don't have to wonder, is this person anything like Christ, you know, in the future and to try to wrestle with that? We read this passage in Romans and God through the Apostle Paul is saying Look at Adam. There are aspects that he is uh, like Christ, a, a model of Christ. But, but I want you to think about it in this way. When, when you think about that word type, two-post, being uh, a, a stamp or something that's had an impact, if you were to imagine a, a coin, uh, especially back in, in those days that was hammered with a stamp, um, that coin has a likeness to the stamp by which it was impacted, right? But it's actually, if you were to look at them, it's actually the opposite. You see what I'm saying? You put the stamp down on a piece of flat metal and you stamp it and then you turn them around, they're actually opposites of one another. And yet they bear a likeness to one another. And in the same way, when Paul says that Adam is a type There are some things that are opposite, and and they're shared here by means of contrast to show how Adam is different from Jesus. And then there's another section that's showing us how Jesus, uh, Adam is like Jesus, but Jesus is even better than Adam. And that's what we see. First paragraph is how Jesus, uh, Adam, and Christ are, are really opposites. And the next paragraph is how Adam and Christ are alike. And so let's look at chapter 5, verse 15 through 17, as we try to tease this out and, and to consider what does it mean to be in Adam or in Christ? I think we've made it abundantly clear that we're all in Adam. We have all sinned. Uh, We have sinned because we are sinners, born into sin, inheriting uh, that sinful nature because it was imputed to us. It was ours there. And so we're all at one point in Adam. The question is, are we now in Christ? But Paul wants to point out a couple different things. that Adam and Christ are opposites. Look in verse 15. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. This is the kind of overarching statement for this paragraph. The free gift is not like the trespass, the free gift is opposite to the trespass that was given. And we'll see that even in this language as we see Paul using a, a word that he used several times last week, this idea of much more than that, much more than that. So in vi- verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, and he explains, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more... Have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. So they're, they're not alike in the sense that uh, if many died in this one man's trespass, must, much more will have life because of the one man's righteousness. And so they're different. They're different in that sense. That there are um, many, and in fact all, uh, the free gift and the trespass. For many, he says, not all in in this verse, but many died through the one man's trespass, but much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace and that of the man Jesus Christ abound for many. Many are still in Adam, but there are many. And I would say, according to this text, many more who are in Christ. And we consider for a moment the promise to Abraham that when he went uh, outside of his tent and looked up into the heavens and God told him to number the stars in the heavens and yet said that he would have as many descendants as that, he realized that they were innumerable in that. And we we don't realize how impactful that is living in Dallas unless you've been outside to Big Bend, right? Or to, uh, like me this week, uh, in upstate New York. Uh, Had the privilege to travel there to be a part uh, of a group of church planters uh, in the YMCA and just had a joyous day of uh, 18 hours of travel to New York. Um, It was just wonderful. Um, Just so fun. Pulling into... Uh, that Silver Bay YMCA at 2 o'clock in the morning, exhausted and tired. And I literally got out and was like, whoa, whoa. I mean, pitch black, mountain stream running down in front of me, sounded beautiful. Look, I was like, I, I go out every morning, every morning to look at the stars. And I'm getting better at even recognizing which ones they are in the constellations. And I didn't even, didn't even know. I, di- I couldn't even believe it. And, and Paul is reminding us of, of this in Abraham, that, that they're different. Many die in their sin and are separated from God for all eternity in death because they're still in Adam. But there are many more who are in Christ, who... God has plucked from being in Adam and has put in Christ and has saved by faith. And so they're different. They're different. Though Adam's sin had an effect on all mankind, Christ's uh, life, his righteous life, and his death on the cross have an even greater impact for those who are in Christ. But not only is the free gift... Of Christ, not like the trespass uh, of Adam, uh, in that grace abounds much more than the trespass, but justification brings much more than the condemnation. The justification that we have in Christ brings much more than the condemnation that we have in Adam. Look in verse 16. Again, trying to make the point. And the free gift is not like... It's opposite. Adam is a type here in that he's an opposite. That the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. Tell us why, Paul. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now we can understand the first part that one sin... One single solitary sin, though it was Adam's sin, it brought condemnation for all because all sinned. We can understand that; that's understandable. Just after one, just one sin, condemnation, judgment, and wrath. In our minds, it would think, "Okay, well, what happened in the second sin, in the third sin, in the hundredth, and the thousandth, and the millionth, and the billionth, and the trillionth, and the infinity?" sins that have been sinned against the Lord wouldn't there be more wrath and more judgment and more condemnation but Paul is saying the free gift is not like that it just took one sin to bring about condemnation but even after infinity infinite sins committed against the Lord grace abounds all the more justification saves over condemnation And so, yes, in Adam, we're all sinful. We're all dead. But in Christ, we can be justified. And this is where we love that truth, that even though we weren't there when Christ died on the cross, even though he was righteous, his righteousness was imputed to us, given to us when he died on the cross, even though 2,000 years later we are born born in sin and born again into righteousness. But not only that, there's a third way that Adam and Christ are opposites. Not only did grace abound much more than the trespass, not only does justification bring much more than condemnation, but our reign in eternal life is much more than death's reign. Look in verse 16. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, listen, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Here's how in Christ, uh, that Adam and, and Christ are opposites. And that Christ is much more than Adam. When Adam sinned, death reigned. But when Christ died and rose from the dead, you would expect to read in that passage that not only, not That death no longer reigns, but life reigns. But that's not what it says. Did you see what it said? Look look again in 17. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Death reigned in Adam because of sin, but in Christ, we reign in eternal life. So not only did, does God, through Christ, give us new life and eternal life with God forever, he actually elevates us that we get to reign with Christ in eternal life. This is how Christ is opposite Adam. Adam brought about sin that brought about death that reigned over us, but Christ broke the chain and the power of sin and death and not only offers us eternal life, but offers us the opportunity to reign in eternal life with him, co-heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. Adam is a a type of Christ, but we need to recognize in some sense he's opposite. That there's no way that Adam could even compare to what Christ has done. But in other ways, we'll see that he's the same. We'll see that he's alike. That, That is in verses 19 through 21. Having seen that Adam and Christ are opposites, here we want to see that Adam and Christ are alike. Look in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So where in the earlier paragraph we saw that language of Much more than that. Adam did this, but Christ, much more than that, did this. Here we're going to see language as uh, just as Adam's act did this, even so Christ did this. And so there's a likeness, there's a similarity here trying to be shown. That in this way, Adam is a type of Christ by similarity, by being alike. And he's alike. In, in three ways in, in this section. One is by His act. This one act. Let me read it again in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, that is, Adam's, one act of sin, led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that is, Christ's, perfect life and his death on the cross it leads to justification in life for all men so in a similar form Adam's one act affected all of the people that were in Adam and yet Christ's one act affects all people as well but here we have to press in a little further because when you read this on the surface you you have to ask yourself did Paul think all people would be saved? I mean if you just take this one verse apart from everything else that Paul wrote you could make an argument for that. Re- read it again. Therefore as one trespass that is Adam's led to condemnation for all men. We believe that to be true. We're all sinful, we're all condemned. So one act of righteousness of Jesus leads to justification in life for all men. Hmm. What you going to do with that, Christian? When your non-Christian friend or universalist friend comes and says, what what does that mean? But we have to, again, take the whole Bible uh, to help us interpret the Bible. And throughout the Bible, there are verses that say all and yet it's not talking about worldwide all they're talking about categories of people groups of people and so this is one of those verses where there's two different groups of people being talked about which is what Paul has been arguing through this entire time there's either people who are in Adam or there's either people who are in Christ And this is what this verse is saying. One trespass of Adam led to condemnation for all men, all who are in Adam. And yet, so one act of righteousness, that is Christ's righteousness, leads to justification in life for all men who are in Christ. There's two different groups of people here that Paul is is talking about, Adam's one act condemned all who were in Adam, which is everybody. But Christ, one act of righteousness, um, one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all who are in Christ. And so we have to make sure we understand that lest we say that that is true of everybody. It's not. Paul's talking about two different groups of people. And, and so... Adam and Christ are alike in the fact that their one act affected all who were in them. But but in another way, um, they're alike. In in this one man, look at it in verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Now Paul has switched from using the word all to many because well let me finish it. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. They're alike in the sense that they're these, this one man, Adam, and this one man, Christ, affected those who were in them. Adam's one act of disobedience affected all people as if we were all there. And yet Christ's one act of obedience affected the many who are in Christ and makes them righteous by faith. That in Adam, his sin is imputed to us as if we were there. And yet in Christ by faith, his righteousness is imputed to us as if we were here. As if it were ours, our very own. And so Adam and Christ are alike in that their one act affected those who were in them, that just one man could have that type of impact on many different people. But lastly, they're alike in, in, in this idea of rain. The idea of rain comes back into it, whereas we read earlier in verse 14 that death reigned um, but, he, but later on in verse 17, we talked about the fact that, that we reign in Christ. Look in verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. I mean, just pause there for a second just to explain that. We talked about earlier that sin was sin before the law was given. But when the law came in, it kind of shined a light. On sin and made sin a transgression because the law was stated clearly. Now everyone knew that sin was a transgression. You have broken the law of God. And most people would think that when you make a law, it will actually decrease sin and transgressions against that. But it doesn't take very long to realize. That's not the case in our world today. But what making a law does, it actually highlights the fact that when somebody breaks it, they've transgressed the law. In our home, there are hundreds and millions of rules and, and sinful actions that I have not told my kids to do. But if they do it, it doesn't mean that it's not sin and disobedience just because I haven't told them to do it yet. But you better believe it. I'm going to tell them not to do that, and if they do it again, it's a transgression. doesn't mean it wasn't sin before. Maybe they didn't know it. Uh, maybe they didn't recognize it. Um, this is the same thing in, in our life. We've sinned unknowingly at different times, and then we're made aware of it because of law, Maybe because of a law of God or the word of God. And we realize we've transgressed against God's law. This is what that, that verse is saying. For if, uh, verse 20, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. God gave the law to show everyone that they were sinners. Lest they go their entire life and think they're not sinners and don't need a savior. So God gave the law to highlight this to them. Um, But, again in verse 20, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21, So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Adam is a type of Christ, and they're alike in the sense that that they both, their actions both brought about a reign. Adam's actions and disobedience brought about the reign of death over our lives, over all mankind's lives. But Christ's one act Of obedience and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave brought in the reign of those who are in Christ in eternal life it brought about the reign of grace over and above the reign of sin and death this is how John Stott uh, beautifully describes this over an abundance of grace that that reigns over the reign of death in Adam. He says, For Christ forgives sins through the cross. And He bestowed on the sinner both righteousness and eternal life. Grace satisfies the thirsty soul and fills the hungry with good things. Grace sanctifies sinners, shaping them into the image of Christ Grace perseveres even with the obstinate, determining to complete what it has begun. And one day grace will destroy death and bring in the kingdom of God. That, that's how, in one sense, Christ, Adam, is a type of Christ. In some ways he's, he's opposite. And Christ is so much better and so much greater, much more than Adam and in other ways he's alike showing us that one act one man one reign can trump another and so again the question comes back to are we in Adam or are we in Christ we were all born in Adam born in sin born in death the question is is has God moved upon your heart in such a way that your heart was recreated, born again is the language of the Bible? Have your eyes been open to see God for who he is, to see you for who you really are in Adam, in sin, and in death? Has God moved in your heart through your ears and your mind to make you aware that that he sent a better Adam as we sung earlier. A true and better Adam to live the life that Adam didn't live nor did we live but only Christ was able to live who, again, the importance of Uh, The nature of Christ was born of a virgin, did not, was not present in Adam's sin, did not inherit Adam's sin, but was sinless and righteous, not only in birth, but through life and death. And he gave his life willingly on the cross and he was buried in the tomb and he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. He's called the firstborn of the dead. For a reason, that there would be many more who would also be born again and be raised, resurrected to new life in Christ. Has God made those truths about his son clear to you? So much so that you're convinced in your heart and your mind that Jesus is the true and better Adam? That it's better to be in Christ than in Adam? Has the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin in such a way that you have repented of your sin, acknowledged that you were in Adam and deserve death, eternal death separated from God, and yet have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, have received his grace by faith, and become a new creation, born Again, to become in Christ and to be able to enjoy all of those benefits. If you haven't, then you probably don't know what it's like to experience all of what Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11 said. You probably haven't experienced peace with God, probably haven't experienced access to his grace, you probably haven't experienced the fullness of joy in the hope of the glory of God. You probably haven't experienced joyfulness in the midst of sufferings. And yet, God, through Paul, um, through his word, through my words this morning, is calling all of us to consider that question. Am Am I in Adam or am I in Christ and I think the Lord, I think Paul, and I for sure am encouraging you, urging you, challenging you to be in Christ today, to repent of your sins and believe. Because um, I think one of the clearest pictures of what it looks like to be in Christ is to consider, maybe narratively speaking, uh, back in Acts chapter 7 and 8 and in Acts chapter 9 where in Acts chapter 6 the church set apart six deacons to serve the church and to serve those who were disenfranchised and one of those, was, his name was Stephen and Stephen was going about, uh, around having believed in Christ, was full of grace and truth and was even able to do signs and wonders to point people to who Christ was. And because he was doing that, he was seized and disputed with others. And it says that his speech and his wisdom excelled anybody else's. And so they, uh, he, he was given a chance to speak. His sermon is recorded in Acts chapter uh, 7. Uh, the, one of the most beautiful sermons there. And, and in the end, he, he actually condemns those people who were listening. And he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed also... Those, uh, those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. And they went on to stone him and kill him. And there was one person standing by watching all of this happen. And his name was Saul. And it says that they laid his co- their coats down at his feet, essentially getting his approval for what just happened. Paul's approval to persecute Stephen, And the next chapter is about Paul getting paper documents to go about and persecute the church in all of the outside areas outside Jerusalem. And as he's going to persecute the church, Christ Jesus shows up in a bright light and an audible voice um, from the heavens. Jesus says to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting Stephen? Why are you persecuting my my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? As if he was the one Paul was persecuting when he was persecuting Stephen, when he was persecuting the rest of the church. Because Stephen and the rest of the church were in Christ. And Jesus says, why are you doing this? They're with me. You do that to them, you do it to me. Jesus, in that moment, protecting the adoption, the adopted sons and daughters of God, on, in that moment, saying, don't mess with them. Don't be in Adam any longer, Paul. Be in Christ. And Paul, in that moment, he goes from being in Adam... Persecuting those who were in Christ, persecuting Christ himself to being in Christ. And now he's the one who's writing these things to us, calling us to, like he did, make that transition from being in Adam to in Christ. To go from persecuting those Christ and those who are in Christ to being one who is in Christ. And to be able to enjoy all the benefits of what it means to be in Christ. So consider that question yourself this morning when you stand before God is Christ going to say with arms wrapped around you even though your worldly life doesn't look anything like him just like I don't look like Samuel but Christ says he's with me he's in Christ by faith having repented of his sins he's in me And the Heavenly Father says, welcome, come home. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would ask, help us to ask that question in the depths of our heart. Are we truly in Christ or are we still in Adam? God, I pray for believers this morning who beyond a shadow of a doubt know they are in Christ, but Who, like myself, so often fall back to living and acting as if we're still in Adam, doubting our salvation, not living in the peace and the joy that we have in Christ. God, forgive us of that. Let us remember our identity as Christians having repented of our sins and believed in you, is in Christ. And so let us be like Christ. Let us be holy as you are holy in the power of the Spirit of Christ. And God, if there's someone here who this morning is unsure of whether or not they are in Christ and very likely may be still in Adam, I pray that they would just simply Acknowledge to you that they are in sin and have sinned and deserve to die and be separated from you for all eternity. And yet, at the same time, put their faith and trust in Christ alone and to receive the salvation that is offered to us by grace alone, through faith alone. And that you would bring them from death to life, from being in Adam to being in Christ this morning. God, let us recognize the rest of this week the fullness of what it means to be in Christ as adopted sons and daughters of the Father, co-heirs, brothers and sisters of Christ with the very Spirit of God and seal of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.